What up, guys? Today on Women of Impact, my girl, Dr. Shafali, is back. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Shafali is, she is CEO of Conscious Coaching, which marries Western psychology with Eastern medicine. And with this approach, she has reached millions of people all around the world with her no holds bars punchings on the truth. She wrote the best-selling book, The Oprah Gifts, to every single person she knows. And today we address how women, yes, we are freaking superheroes, but even superheroes can't do it all. So when you're looking to have a wonderful, loving relationship with your partner, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be multiple things that you have to navigate and children and your sex life are all going to be part of those things. So today's episode is more like a survival guide to love, parenting and life. She gives tips on how your relationship can survive the trauma of bringing in new helpless babies into the mix without actually killing your sex life, love and connection. So let's just dive in right now to Dr. Shafali on Women of Impact. And guys, if this episode brought you value, please do give our podcast a follow or a share and tell your homies about it. It's really the best way to support the podcast is to tell your friends, to share it, to review, to rate it, so we can continue to make global freaking impact for women and bring out their inner freaking badasses. All right, guys, I'm Lisa Billiou, and now welcome to Women of Impact. It's an insane amount of pressure that we women put ourselves through and then we face the guilt because we can't do it all. But no one talks about the psychological death that a woman especially goes through. It is literally like stepping off a cliff into an abyss of the unknown. Dr. Shafali, welcome back to Women of Impact. Oh, I love being here. I just love talking with you about all things that we women go through. Ditto, girl. And so today, what I really want to focus on is I heard a stat that 90% of marital uh, couples, their spark dives in the first year of having children. Yeah. What the hell is happening? Why are our relationships so difficult where we work hard to find love, to keep love, and then within the first year of having a child... It completely dips. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding? This is, you know, having children is the big, the biggest libido buster ever. Like you, you, you don't have kids. So your libido is running high. But for all of us who have a child, first, it's just such a psychological shock. And no one prepares you for it, you know. Everyone's so focused on the baby and everyone's so excited that you have this new arrival. But no one talks about the psychological death that a woman especially goes through. And of course, then the couple and of course the father, but the mother more so because she had to, you know, expand her body. Her one body became a house for two. And then back to a how to one. It's such a huge uh, change. So of course it affects the couple. The, there's exhaustion. There's sleep deprivation. You're taking care of a new being that you've never met in your life before. You you've never probably been a parent in, if it's your first child. So all this takes such an emotional toll, and it bleeds into the couple. The woman's sex drive is probably on an all-time low, given all the changes she's going through. And of course, there are exceptions. Many women often say that, oh, I was my sexiest and horniest when I first gave birth, but I think that's rare. And so the, the father, if it's a traditional relationship, the male in the, in the partnership, 
goes through this kind of abandonment, you know. They are replaced by this baby in the bed sometimes. And so the couple goes through this enormous change that no one prepares them for. And they need to have solid communication skills, solid understanding, great empathy. The man kind of, if it's a traditional relationship, the male is left in a lurch. The woman, the female is left in a lurch because she's having to take care of this child. So it's a huge impact. It is traumatizing. Oh, God, that was so fun. Okay, let's really dig deep here because as we start to talk about deciding to have children, right? Like, so the the myth, and we spoke about this in the last episode, you know, with it's like first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage and how that has set up so many of us um, on the wrong foot. And I remember when I first met you, I was like, okay, you're an expert on parenting. I was really nervous to tell you I decided not to have children. I was really nervous because I thought you were going to be like, but children are the most biggest blessing. And the first words out of your mouth when I was like, hey, I've decided not to. You're like, oh, it's probably best that you don't. And I was so shocked by a a person that's an expert in the parenting field to suggest that. So let's go down the path right now about deciding to have kids. So you even said like that becomes like almost a death to potentially the, the partner. because they've lost the spouse they've become second so Mm -hmm. talk to me about that and then the psychological impact that you said was like that hit me for yeah a ton of bricks it's it's huge and I know I, I have a voice of pessimism or doom and gloom about this why because parenting is the most difficult job in the world and I don't think we understand just how difficult it is we set ourselves up we have all these fantasies all these expectations and then when they come crashing we think we're doing something wrong well let me first say parenting should never be a one person or two person job it should have been how it used to be back when, when we used to raise children as a collective. Mm-hmm. So there were the aunties, the grandparents, there was a support system. You know, ju- leaving a child to just one neurotic person or two neurotic people is not healthy for the child. The child needs many neurotic people <laughs> so they can choose a little bit of this uncle and a little bit of that crazy auntie, but they get a wide variety, a diverse upbringing that is actually healthier. They need to grow up with other children and with other adults. So this nuclear family system has constricted our options and really our, our well-being and our children's mental health. So right there, we're starting on the kind of wrong foot. Can I just add yes. then one question then? So what about now as society, a lot of women are saying, well, I don't necessarily need a man to have a child. Right. And so I'm going to go off and either have a surrogate Right. Um, there's obviously many choices right. in that situation are you saying now that it's actually now even worse for children because now you literally only have one neurotic person well it's not worse for the children as much as it's worse for the adult oh. the adult has to manage this child on their own and it's a lot to manage today right because they have to go to school then all the burden of all the extracurriculars that now children have to do this one parent is spinning their wheels and then if they are the breadwinner I mean It's an insane amount of pressure. And just to talk about the pressure that we women feel, I think there's this saying, this adage now that we women can do it all. We can do it all, but not all at the same time. And I think the mother goes through this burden of shrinking her body back, being sexy again, and being there for her partner, and then having a career, and raising a child. Then child number two. It's an insane amount of pressure that we women put ourselves through. And then we face the guilt because we can't do it all. 
you know. So we 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 skim through magazines where these women are back in the gym in in six days and then having child number two a year later. It's an impossible expectation, and no one will do it beautifully, you know. So let me just talk about when we decide to have a child. Most of us decide it unconsciously because it's part of the checklist. That's why I was so applauding of you because you made a different daring decision for yourself. You checked in and you and Tom decided consciously that this was not for you, at least right now. Most of us don't do that check-in process. So we just go down the checkbox list and we think it's what we're meant to do. And, you know, then it's not anything like our expectation. Some of us may have postpartum depression. And so that just adds to the mix. And then we have this guilt, this crushing guilt. And all of it comes out where? Into our dynamic with our children. So the children then feel the burden to make mom or dad happy, to fulfill their expectations and their fantasies. Now, the child is you know, wearing the mask, we call it the ego mm-hmm. mask of trying to please mom and dad. And then the generational pattern continues. So choosing to have children today in the modern world, given that women want to have careers and they want to be, you know, really looking sexy and they want to have a, a great relationship with their partner and they're doing it without a tribe. Mm-hmm is a huge burden, which shouldn't be taken lightly. They need to really tap in like you did and consciously assess if this is something that they they really can do, they want to do. Being maternal and putting your maternal instincts and that role as your top priority, especially when your children are growing up. Sure, you may have a great partner, but you have to still be the primary caregiver is something you need to assess. You know, I didn't realize what it would take for me. I couldn't go full throttle on my career until my daughter was at least 10 years old. I wrote books, but I couldn't go on tours. I couldn't travel. So I had to prioritize. But I did it without resentment. I literally was about to ask you, how do you do it without resentment? Yeah, because I knew that my maternal role was my top priority and I embraced it. I loved it. I wanted it. I wanted to learn from my child. So I created the space in those first 10 years to be there as much as I could. Now, I still did a PhD. I still wrote books, but I wasn't out there in the world as I am today because I needed to be there physically present. But that was something I chose. And because I chose it, I was able to embrace it. There were moments that I regretted. You know, I was like, damn, this is like, this is a 24-7 job. You know, it is because I didn't have the support I needed. You know, my family was back in India, so I was doing it all alone. I wasn't wealthy, so I couldn't hire help. So it was all me. Mm. So had someone warned me, maybe I would have buttressed myself with greater support. But I tell women all the time, the women who are mothers, listen, you chose this consciously or unconsciously, but now the children are here. Instead of splitting yourself up in hairs, you know, I want to be a career woman. I want to, you know, go to the gym six hours a day. I, you know, I want to travel the world. You have to just zone in on this priority. You have to be here now. Conscious parenting takes presence. And yes, you could be traveling the world. And yes, you could be a really successful ballet dancer, but not right now. Mm. Right now, you need to enter the present moment. The children are here and they need you. And when you really surrender to the hard, intense labor that parenting is and stop fighting all the things you could have been, then you actually 
embrace this journey and you get the jewels of this journey. Listen, th- I say it every third sentence. There is nothing harder than parenting, but you will make it even harder if you resist it. Mm-hmm. You have to surrender to this 24-7 nature. They are clingy. They are needy. They are dependent. They will suck the life out of you. They are expensive. It, they are not grateful. They may not even, you know, give you one trophy that you could show off on Facebook with. Like my kid had no trophies. It's a thankless job. But the beauty of it is also, you know, just inexplicable. The beauty of this relationship is also like no other Mm -hmm. because you get to see how loving you are. And for me personally and how I teach conscious parenting, it's you get to bust your ego. So for me, it's a spiritual practice. I use my relationship with my child as a, a meter, a metric of how egoic I am today. And every moment with my child is an opportunity to release that ego. So for me, it's a spiritual metamorphosis, a spiritual test. And that's why I talk about conscious parenting so much, because it's for the parent, the parent to evolve to the higher level of consciousness than ever before. Oh, that was so deep. There were so many questions that I have there. So if you're in this situation where... I hear everything you're saying. It just doesn't feel real to me because I don't have a child. Yeah. So in thinking through, okay, that it's hard, it's like they suck the life out of you, it's a thankless job, but there is this beauty. Yes. In that moment, I take that for truth. But when we're talking about like relationships with your partner and yes. how you have a life that you just feel is still your own, mm-hmm. um, how do you start to navigate that? Because if your child becomes that first position, yes. so like take me and Tom, we've been together for 22 years. He's been my number number one in my life. I've been his number one in his life. And so now comes an opportunity that is going to be maybe the light of my life. But now it it does impact my relationship with my husband. And so when I think about how many people end in divorce, right, it's like, what, 50%? So 50% of people end in divorce, around 90% of people are their romance completely dies while having a child. It's like, how do we help maybe women making the decision to have a child, but still allow them to have their dreams because from what I hear you say, it's like it's almost like you're putting your dreams on pause to focus on your child. And then also you're putting your relationship with your partner on pause. And it just sounds heartbreaking. <laughs> well, you're painting it as if it's an either or. And I totally get that. It does feel at times like imagine if I'm an entrepreneur and I have a super you know, high powered business meeting the next day, but my kid falls ill. Mm-hmm. and my husband's traveling or my partner's traveling. What, what do I prioritize? The child will have to come first. So in that case, it's an either or. But on a day-to-day basis, instead of looking at it as an either or, which will immediately build, build resentment, it's better to just see it as an expansion of the couple, an expansion of the self. What am I gaining from this? What am I learning from this, right? If I look at it in the negative, there are plenty of negatives. So now the children are here. So how can I embrace this? But you are right in saying that, you know, the dreams can't be the big dreams because this, this, these children need you. So you have to negotiate and you have to ask yourself, what is more important for me right now in this decade of my life? Can I surrender to these children and see the growth, see the expansion, you know, and, and you, you said you, you're not a parent. You're right. But you are a parent of little Lisa, Mm -hmm. right? 
So when you parent a real child, you get even more of an opportunity to parent that inner child. And that's what conscious parenting is about, to see the parenting relationship as an opportunity to not just parent the child before you, but the inner child. Mm. And that's what our children teach us, I can tell you, like no other human being. The the adult relationship is powerful to help us reparent our children, but our real children Oh my goodness, they take us right back to our childhood and they challenge us to to grow into the parts of ourselves that we did not get to grow into in childhood. So the opportunity to reparent ourselves, and that's what this book is all about, The Parenting Map, because it's all about how can the parent reparent themselves through their relationship with their children. And that opportunity, you can only get with your children. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, the ego masks, I'd love to talk about yeah. that um, and how we identify what's in us and then how we kind of are projecting. Um, that is fascinating. Definitely want to go down that rabbit hole. And um, before we do that, I really want to touch on when making the decision, because this is where it's like, okay, if you're on the fence, you're not quite sure. Um, I just assume there's no right or wrong answer. It's going to be an individual decision. But even in that individual decision, there's no going back. So the decision no is really freaking heavy. Like Life sentence, yes. <laughs> Life sentence, I Many love Many lives, yes. So in in one, in one looking at the decision of whether you um, want to, I was about to say should, there is no yeah. should here, if you want to or not, there are many different reasons that I hear that I'd love to actually really break down with you um, to help guide. So I know a lot of people will say, you know, um, if I have a baby, it'll fix my relationship. Oh, yes, yes. So if we don't mind going through a couple of these, um, I think it would really help people that maybe are on the fence decide. Yes. So the if people haven't yet had the child and are, you know, exactly, in the deciding yeah. process, they first need to uncover their unconscious assumptions about what this creature is going to do for their lives. Because many of us have these fantasies. Oh, if I have a child, I'm going to have somebody to love and who's going to love me back. So this mythical idea of this free-flowing, unconditional love is one of the reasons Typically, we yearn to have a child, actually, mm. because we imagine that this child will love us and we'll experience this undying love. OK, so that's one of the main reasons people say they want to have children. Another very common one is, you know, the relationship is floundering. The relationship doesn't feel like it's got its juice. So they imagine that this child will come and pump up the relationship. Oh, my goodness, they couldn't be more wrong because, as I said, it's going to really bust up the relationship. It's not a booster for the relationship. Does it boost it, though, initially? I can see, like, you kind of coming together for this collective, oh, my God, we're having a child together. Yes, I think when if you're having a biological child mm -hmm. and during those nine months, there's this idea that, oh, we, are, we have created something magical together. And in, it really feeds the ego mm -hmm. that we've both got this little being that we've created. And then when this being actually comes and you don't recognize them or you can't control them, and this being has its own temperament and its own mentality and its own opinions, very quickly, then you begin to have difference, you know, a difference in parenting, a difference in attitude. Your philosophies come into question. There's nothing like parenting to bring your value systems as a couple out into the light like never before. Mm. Because you begin to argue about things that you didn't even know you needed to argue about, such as, you know, uh, should you, uh, you know, have uh, diapers or do you, should you have cloth or you, should you buy diapers? Should you have this kind of milk or soy milk or almond milk? Mm. Now you're arguing about things that you never needed to argue about. 
Every little thing comes into question and you have to examine yourself like you never did before. So that's another reason people think they should have children. And another one is just that they want to fit in. You know, they want to fit in with what women in their, you know, what couples in that decade of life typically do, especially in their 30s to 40s. Everyone's having a baby. You feel left out. You want to belong. And another one is just something very primal. You know, it could be a biological sense that the female has that my biological clock is ticking. And that could be real, Mm. this sense, this desire to nurture, to caretake. And uh, one more unconscious reason is simply because my culture says it's something we have to do. You know, you know, you you face that as a Greek woman, right? Yeah. That Greek women, they are, they are natural born mothers. So many of us feel that it's something that is culturally imposed, culturally sanctioned. But the, except for the biological one, all the others need to be really examined, deconstructed, questioned, assessed, talk to other parents, you know, go live with someone who has a newborn baby, try it out for real life. Having a pet is not the same thing. You know, people are like, oh, I have pets. No, it's not the same thing. Go and actually try it out because it's a 24-7 life sentence. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa 
all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Thank you for breaking that all down. And as you were talking, the thing that really stands out to me is the fear part of it, right? Almost the fear to not be accepted, the fear to be maybe ostracized, the fear that I'm going to regret it. Like, and even with the biological clock, one is still actually very, um, I think, strong fear that a lot of us have that if I don't decide now, what if I regret it? And so we then potentially make decisions out of the fear based of the future potential. Then it really is the now. So how do you help women specifically make, help decide or help um, yeah. navigate that decision? Well, you know, ideally, you would want to go on a meditation retreat. You would want to really check in with yourself, assess for a year or two, you know, hang out with children, really try it out. But even if you did all that and you still decided to have a child, it is literally like stepping off a cliff into an abyss of the unknown. There was no way I could have predicted even one moment of my parenting. And every time I thought I got it down pat, like, oh, we're on a roll, the next minute it spins you on on your head. This is the nature of raising children. That's why you need to take it really seriously as much as you can preemptively, but also then once you have them, now they're here. And you you have to embrace it if you want to truly get the most out of it. Fighting the reality of them being here, being resentful of the fact that they're here, uh, feeling bitter is just going to create this dysfunctional relationship that's going to make your life harder. Mm -hmm. Now that they're here, we got to surrender, go with the flow. And there is great beauty to it as well. Uh, I love that. And you do talk about the beauty. And so I'd really love to dive into that. but first, identifying the ego mask. I thought this was really freaking strong that you wrote in your book because to your point, it isn't even just about the rela- identifying your ego mask for the relationship with your children. It really is identifying the ego mask for yourself yes. so that you actually know how you're showing up. Yes, yes. So the core of conscious parenting that I teach, and I really began teaching it because I saw my own ego in full fury when my daughter was young. I was aghast. Because I thought I would be this ever-loving, ever-present, gentle, patient parent. But all I was was in my ego. But I could recognize it. My meditation practice allowed me to see the ego. And when I saw the ego, I, I wondered, you know, am I the only parent who has this ego? Why isn't, why isn't it being talked about? And I realized, ah, no one wants to talk about this because it's the shame of parenting. Mm. But unless we uncover this, we will not truly become conscious. So I began to use my own parenting journey in my teachings, allowing me to understand how it is these ego masks show up in our parenting. So my ego mask, for example, was the mask of the fixer. I wanted to fix everything in my child's life and she should never cry. I'm still super protective of her feelings, her moods, her emotions. And I realized that it was a mask I had been wearing all my life. So just to be brief, when we come into the world, into our parents' lives in our childhood, we come in kind of unbounded, uh, free, ready to be who it is we choose to be. But because of the circumstances and the conditions of our childhood, we quickly realize that who it is we are is not being honored. Like, oh, I have to be something in order to get the love, approval, validation and praise from my parents. And children learn very quickly 
to give up who it is they authentically are in order to get the crumbs of connection. So they give up connect they give up their own authenticity, their connection to themselves to get the connection from others. Mm-hmm. And how do they do that? By becoming, by wearing a mask that they realize that their parents approve of very quickly. So we can become uh, the super achiever, the super stars, the super pleasers, uh, the super good ones, the good girls, the good boys. And we wear these masks because we realize, ah, when I wear that mask, my mother's face just lights up and I feel worthy. So we give up connection to ourselves for connection to our parents. And these masks become embedded and become our way of being. And we don't even realize that we have these false personas that we wear out into the world. Now, then we become parents, right? And we don't realize that we will live and wear a mask with our children. We think we, we just love unconditionally. So the first step is to become aware that we could wear these masks. And I talk about the five masks. I would love if you don't mind breaking them down. They're so powerful. Yeah. So I, I fashioned these masks based on the primal survival instincts of freeze, fight or flight. So based on that, I created these masks. So I talk about the fighter mask, the fixer mask, the feigner, who's the attention-seeking mask, the freezer and the fleer. And each of these masks are triggered when we are in a state of helplessness or anxiety. So the minute our children make us feel anxious, we revert to a mask that we've always worn that gets us what we need in the moment. So the typical one is the fighter. You know, I think there's no parent who hasn't been a fighter once or twice. (laughs) Um, But we're talking about chronic patterns here. And the fighter is the exploder, the screamer, the yeller, who just shifts into the gear of super control. Mm. You know, and most of us parents have been told that we are in control. But then when you have a child and you realize, you know, a humbling realization is how little control you have. I mean, like zero. Like first when they're an infant... You can't control their pooping, their lack of sleep, their colicky, you know, irritability. You can't control any of it. Mm. But you kind of are okay with the infant because at least when you put them in the crib, they stay there. Okay. (laughs) But then when they start walking and talking, that's why we call it the terrible twos. Right away, it becomes terrible. Yeah. Because they are terrible. Like they are not getting under our control. Mm. So control is is our biggest focus and our goal. And when we realize we don't have control, we get anxious and we wear these masks. So the fighter is all about control. The fixer mask, the one that I'm really good at wearing, uh, is where you just rush in and you save the day and you just overcoddle, overprotect, overrescue. Like you just take over and manage the moods and the feelings. Again, the fixer, many good girls, you know, the archetype of the good girl. I think you were one. Mm -hmm. I was one. We are really good at being fixers. But what we do in wearing the fixer mask, even though we're so nice, is that we rob our children of their governance, of their initiative, of their autonomy. Each of these masks robs Mm -hmm. our children of their own inner knowing. The Feiner mask F-E-I-G-N-E-R, Feiner, is the mask worn by, you see this in parents who are like the stage mom parents or the, you know, the sports dad parent, you know, to use stereotypes, Mm -hmm. the ones who need their children to like win the trophy and succeed and take the picture. And and that parent is just so uh, into their own image and how their family looks and the 
picture-perfect family that they're missing out on what their children need. Mm. And then the freezer and the fleer parents come from more trauma where they simply cannot show up for their children's big emotions. I mean, talk about needing to show up for another's big emotions. You have to show up for Tom's emotions, but Tom does the work. Mm. He is, has a therapist probably. He's taking care of his emotions. Imagine having two or three children who have no idea how to take care of their emotions. Now you have to take care of their emotions. So if you've faced any trauma around your feelings as a child, if you've typically suppressed your feelings, then the fleer and freezer mask is what you're going to wear. You're going to completely freeze when your child has big emotions, which is typically at least three or four times a day, if not a week, right? So that mask comes into play because it protects you. You don't have to deal. You check out. You abandon your kid, really. Uh, but it's really causing dysfunction in your relationship. So when a parent is unaware of these masks they wear, then they show up for their children with that mask. So what that means is that they are reacting to their mask and they're in their own fear instead of responding to what their children need from them in the moment. And children are watching you. They are observing you. They are absorbing you. They are ingesting you, indoctrinating you, internalizing you. So the, imagine now you have these eyes on you. It was one thing to be dysfunctional on your own. But now you have all these <laughs> eyes and you're responsible for how they're taking you in. And, and you're seeing them take you in. Mm. And you're like, oh, goodness, I just messed up with my kid. But that's all par for the course. That's all part of this journey. And that's why you learn self-forgiveness. You learn self-compassion. You learn to heal yourself. Because you see your child beginning to mirror you. And you begin to see how yet you have to grow. Mm. So if you are wanting to be a conscious parent, right there you are offered jewel after jewel to ask yourself, oh, my goodness, how am I showing up for my kid? What was that about? Why did I just lose my temper? And it's an unbelievable opportunity, invaluable, mm. to look in the mirror, to go inward, and to heal yourself, to go, wow, my kid didn't want to have scrambled eggs and I lost my shit? <laughs> like, what was that about? What that was about was you weren't being heard. Our kid wasn't listening to us. So look at that mirror to look at how our inner child is screaming to be seen, heard, and understood. That's why parenting is such a powerful teacher. If you want to be a conscious parent, it can teach you how to elevate, to heal, to grow, to take care of your inner child. When you become a parent, you don't even realize how insane your inner child is, how out of control your inner child is. The way you just broke it down was so amazing. And as you were talking, I was wondering how though, like, cause so everyone wants to be seen. And then in a relationship, I think that's one of the biggest right. things, right? Of right. like, what makes a great relationship right. is being seen. Right. So as you were breaking it down, I can understand why I'm doing all the work of the, you know, inner child, what mask am I wearing? My kid's freaking out. Okay, the inner child in me is like control, 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 yes. Yes. like self-soothe. But then it becomes like, okay, I'm not getting seen here. But now in a dynamic, in a relationship where maybe all of my attention is to the kid. Yes. I'm trying to be seen by the kid. Yes. But now I'm not actually seeing my partner. Yes. Yes. How do you navigate that? Well, if you are unconscious, it's a big hodgepodge mess. And most of us are unconscious. Listen, I was unconscious for the first three years of my child's life, like fully unconscious. Mm. I had no idea what I was doing. It was so overwhelming. I was so exhausted. 
But if we step into consciousness, what actually begins to happen is you begin to see your inner child more clearly because of your dear children. <laughs> but then you begin to see, hopefully, your partner's inner child. Mm-hmm. And so you, you begin to understand more. Wow. Because you remember, perhaps, that your partner told you a story that when they were three years old, they were locked outside the house. And now you have a three-year-old. So then you really have compassion, mm-hmm. right? And you have compassion for yourself. Wow, my mom abandoned me for two years when I was five years old. Say, my mom didn't, but say that, <laughs> right, that was yeah. the case. And then you see your own five-year-old. Now you have compassion for yourself. Wow, I was so little. I didn't know any better, mm-hmm. right? You begin to truly see how abused we may have been as, as when we were children. And we have more compassion for ourselves. So we can go back and reparent, soothe ourselves, forgive ourselves, release our parents also because our parents mm-hmm. were also children once and they had inner children that were also not seen. So becoming a parent really can open your heart up to the pain of the universe. I remember a moment when I really messed up with my child um, and I hurt her. I, my heart opened so wide to all the pain of all children in the universe because I hurt her and I saw it firsthand. And I also realized all the pain that my parents may have caused me and their parents caused them because I saw how easy it is to be unconscious. So I kind of forgave everyone in my life for causing me pain. I began to understand how pain is caused because I saw myself doing it to my child because I saw the power of unconsciousness. So the parenting journey is such a profound opportunity for us to heal ourselves, to heal our children and then future generations, to forgive our parents, to connect to other people. Now I see the pain in other people so clearly. My child showed me that. Because I saw how vulnerable making uh, being a child is and how we were all once children and we were all not seen and therefore we all created these egos. So I can see, hey, that's a toddler, even though it's a 60-year-old. I'm like, that's a toddler right now. You know, I always say we're toddlers walking around in tuxedos. You know, (laughs) we are and ball gowns because we never grew up because we were never seen for who it is we are. So it's hard to understand that intellectually. But when you, have a, when you have a child and you see how you yourself don't see your child, then you begin to realize how you were not seen mm. and how you were not seen and how you were not seen. And you have compassion for all of us. All of us humans are walking around with this great desire to be seen as whole, as worthy. But our parents were not seen as whole and, wor- as, and worthy, so they can't see us as whole and worthy. So that's how the generational patterns continue. Mm. And so how do you... How do you actually then break those patterns? So for me, it was very difficult because I was the first person in my entire family in all history to be like, I don't like actually decide I do not want children. And so it was very difficult for me to not only stand within like strong within myself to then discuss it with my husband, come on to this, get on the same page with my husband and then tell my family and then deal with the outside world of all the judgment, shame, selfishness that comes along with making a decision that's going to rub people the wrong way or go against their expectations. So in understanding all of that, how do we start to make those first steps so that we can actually feel good about ourselves? Because that seen part, and this is why I really want to hammer this home, is that sometimes if we make a decision that goes against expectation, we're no longer seen. Yes. 
And so in order to be seen, we make decisions that actually aren't aligned with ourselves. Yes, yes. So the ultimate spiritual practice really in life is to begin to see yourself. So when you begin to see yourself, what that means is that you give yourself the permission to detach from your excessive attachment and neediness to be seen by the external world. This is the core principle of any spiritual practice. You have to detach from the external world and really engender a deep connection to yourself. Conscious parenting is an act of the bravest, the most courageous, because to become a conscious parent or to endorse conscious parenting out in the world like you do is to partake in a revolution. What that means is that Part of becoming a conscious parent, a parent is to understand that you have to break free from the lies that exist in the matrix. All the lies, such as how to be a good girl, how to be a you know, beautiful woman, just in terms of females. Mm-hmm. All the lies we've been told about motherhood and divorce and beauty and achievement. We have to deconstruct that at a level that only a warrior can and see the lies that we've been told for what they are, and then choose to walk away from it. So in my own parenting, I remember being bombarded by the lies of the matrix, say, around beauty. My daughter, I have a daughter, so that was a really important systemic institution that I needed to deconstruct, the institution of beauty, because I did not want to pass down the lies that I had been told and I had indoctrinated onto my daughter. Oh, can you, sorry, sorry, can you break that down for me? How that actually goes? Because I want people at home to go, that sounds amazing. How do I actually do it? Right. So if you don't mind right. taking me through, like identifying the lie, looking at Correct. it, like, can you take us Correct. through those steps? So as a parent, if you want to be conscious, you have to first understand all the institutions of culture that are ingrained in you, that you are going to unwittingly, unsuspectingly pass on to your children. The big ones are achievement, happiness, beauty, religion, um, love, marriage, divorce. These are the things that you are going to pass on to your children. So when I had a daughter, the first red flag that I needed to pay attention to was how was I going to show up as a woman in my body around my daughter, Mm. which meant I needed to heal my own damage that culture had inflicted on me around how I needed to show up around beauty and my body. Did I embrace my body? Did I embrace my cellulite? Did I embrace my wrinkles? Did I embrace my whatever, my funny ears, my weird jaw, whatever? Because my daughter was going to pick up on that. So I knew I did not want to damage her with the lies that I had been damaged by. And that's because you realized it was damaging you. Yes. So every female client and every woman I've worked with. So I knew Mm. that this was a cage that I needed to break free from and not put it on my daughter. So I remember one time, and I tell this story often, um, my daughter, I was with a group of people and she came up to me and said, mommy, mommy, show everyone your wings. This, this, this. And she like began rocking the flab. And I was like, what is she doing? And I wanted to cover it up and call her a bad girl and send her to a room. But I realized that she was just loving it. I wasn't loving it, but she was. So I had a choice. Conscious parenting is all about the choice in the moment. So should I enter my ego? 
and flip out and be all about my image? Or should I, this was a moment, embrace my body for its imperfect, imperfections. There's nothing imperfect about it. But what culture has told mm-hmm. me, I'm not allowed to have. So I ste- decided to step into it. And I was like, I, you know, just swallowing the ego. And I was like, yeah, show everybody my flag. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and then I just made a joke about it. I was like, Maya, you know, so sad for you. You don't have wings. You can't fly. And I, and I just allowed it yeah. to be. And I didn't even say, oh, I love them. I didn't even say, oh, they're beautiful. Because I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. If I truly accept, I don't even have to give it a name. I don't even have to say they're pretty, they're beautiful, right? This whole positive affirmation, you know, trip that we go on comes because we don't accept. If we accept, I don't even have to say anything. I don't have to explain. The cellulite, I don't have to say, but it's beautiful. Mm. I just accept. I don't have to say it's beautiful or pretty or give it any adjective because I accept. So in these little ways... I was very conscious of how I showed up in the mirror in front of my daughter, how I got ready in the morning. They are watching everything. How I ate my, my food with gusto or was I counting calories? Was I hard on myself? Was I saying, oh, I look too fat? Oh, I had to really be mindful. And I, and I, and I made it my task. But more than that, I embraced it as a spiritual practice because I was forced to embrace myself. Mm. I couldn't just talk it. I had to actually be it. Right. So that was one area. Then another area is around success. Right. Oh, if we were high achieving children, that message when we are parents is on steroids because an unconscious emblem of parenting, it's our motto is to raise a successful child. No parent wants to raise a loser. (laughs) Right. We don't want we don't want to raise an average Joe Schmo. We want to raise a superstar. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was like so easygoing, but I was type A in the first few years of my daughter's life. I wanted a high achieving kid. And it because culture tells us that mm-hmm. we're supposed to raise a superstar. And it's a reflection of the parents. So if the kid is naughty, gets arrested, does all this stuff, oh my you're just like, oh, what's a parent yes. like? Yes, if the teacher sends a note back home, we feel mm. like we are in the principal's office. It's a carbon we copy, take I it, think you call it. Yeah, mini-me. Yeah, yeah mini-me. Mini we take it so personally, right? Because we want the, the superstar, A-plus, five-star child, you know? Absolutely. So we are trying to groom this child to not be ordinary. Like an ordinary child is anathema. We do not want an ordinary child. We're like, can you be good at something? Can you do something that I can put, post on Facebook that I can, can I can, you know, put in a frame, something I can put on the wall? So this is a, an illness because we've been told as parents that we are mandated to raise a successful child. Mm. So part of being a conscious parent is to deconstruct that lie. Mm. Because we have to really examine what is a successful child? How is success measured? Instead of raising a successful child, what I encourage parents to do is raise the child before you, not the child of your fantasy. Mm -hmm. You are not raising your cousin's child. You're not raising the child you were. You're not raising the child you wish you had. You are raising the child before you. Now, connect to that child's essence and allow that child to flourish in their essence. Let them be the lead a little bit, especially in their early years, to tell you what they like, what they don't like, and don't bombard them with things that you like. Now that is success. A child who follows their own inner governance, 
who learns to tap into themselves, mm-hmm. who, who discovers that they are their own inner leader. Now that is a successful child, right? When we grow up, we want to be able to follow our own direction. We want to be able to say no to bullies. We want to be able to step out of the matrix. We want to be able to defy our boss if they are intimidating us. Well, how will we teach those skills to our children if we are telling them to follow the matrix, to get the straight A's, to follow the crowd, right? So we parents cannot have it both ways. If we want to raise that rebel, maverick, warrior, adult, it needs to start with them rebelling against us, mm-hmm. with them talking back at us, with them sharing their opinion and with us following them. How can we raise a leader if we've never even taught them to be a leader, right? That means we need to follow them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's success to me is allowing the child to listen to their own essence, to understand who they are, to follow their own knowing and to follow them in their lead. So when I took my child for her first horse riding competition, even though she told me she did not want to go because I wasn't listening, I wasn't listening. I wanted to raise a successful equestrian. So (laughs) I didn't care. I was like, you will go on the horse because I loved horses when Mm -hmm. I was a kid. I was like, you will do what I didn't do. I wasn't listening. She went for one competition. She came out of the ring. She did really well. And I was so excited. I was going to be a horse, you know, an equestrian's mom. Uh, She came out of the ring and she threw her jacket down. She took out her braids. She threw the helmet down. And she was like, never again, mom, never again. And at that moment, I had a choice. My ego was like, why not? It's amazing. We just won a trophy. You should do it again. But I knew that if I wanted to be a conscious parent, I had already gotten my way one time by pushing her into the competition. But now if I didn't listen to her, then I would be teaching her to doubt herself. I would be teaching her that her feelings about things, her knowing was not important to me. Her inner knowing was of no consequence to me. So what did I want to teach in that moment? Was it about my ego or was it about connecting to my child's essence? And frankly, I had no choice because my daughter was just not going to listen to me. So I had to be humble and surrender. So I had an opportunity in that moment to surrender my ego Mm. and grow up and trust that even if my child wasn't a star equestrian, she was still a star in her own right. Right. I had to trust that in the ordinary was the extraordinary. So that's a big thing Mm. that parents need to debunk. Let's go with happiness because every parent wants a happy child, right? Parents always tell me, what do you want me to say? I want an unhappy child. And what I tell parents is it's not, not your business. None of it is your business, happy or unhappy. Your child gets to choose how they show up in the moment to their life experience. If they choose to be happy, That's their experience. If they choose to be unhappy, it's their experience. How are you going to decide what your child's moods are? (laughs) But we parents have this belief, again, mandated by the institution of parenting, that we should make our kids happy. And you know what? It drives us crazy because we can't make them happy every day. So every time they're unhappy, we feel responsible. We feel stressed. We feel guilty. We feel anxious. And then we feel angry at them. Like, I did all this for you. I gave up my PhD. I could have been a ballet dancer. I could have been the best artist in the world. And now you're just crying all day? Like, did I do all this for you to cry? So then we guilt trip our children. We make them feel upset. We suppress their authentic experiences because we want to make a happy child. Because we feel good when our kid is happy. 
Oh, God, this is so powerful because it's so true. But I can actually understand, like, as a parent, it's like, well, for heaven's sake, I've put my dreams yes. aside, right? Dr. Yes. Shafali says I can't have everything. So I put my dream aside. I did do it for the better for the good of my child. I did do it for the health of them. I did do it for like, so that they can grow up and decide to be happy or choose yes. happiness. But now you're like, in all of my efforts, I've now not achieved what I've done. Yes. And so you do find that inclination to lean into, but what about me? Like at one point, yes. are women just sacrificing, sacrificing, <laughs> sacrificing? And I know you said yes. it earlier, but like, uh, maybe I just can't <laughs> live in this world where like, but as women, when we've sacrificed, when yes. we've given so much over yes. to our child, when is it my turn? When is it yes. for me? When is yes. it like, I do need to find satisfaction somewhere in this yes. dynamic. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So just touching upon that resentment we feel when our children dare to be unhappy a lot, when all we've done is invest in their damn happiness. You know how many millions of dollars we spend on our kids to be happy? We take them to Disney World. You know how many miserable children are at Disney World and miserable <laughs> parents? I feel for them because they've spent so much money, their life savings to make this epic trip and the kids are just unhappy. You know why? Because we think we should be raising a happy child. Mm -hmm. What we don't realize is that we're just raising a human. And humans have a lot of moods, especially when they're little humans. They have such capricious moods such volatile, labile energies, you know, because they're highly reactive. Their executive functioning hasn't developed yet. So we think we're raising an adult or we're raising a happy adult, a successful adult. No, we're not. So that's why we need to think about this decision all the more carefully because these hu little humans, my goodness, they're constantly having moods and emotions and tantrums all the way till they're 28, right? It doesn't end. <laughs> 48. So, right, 48. So in terms of what about me, right? We, and I'm going to talk about mothers especially, mm -hmm. we as mothers have to, you know, tread that fine line, and it's a fine one indeed, between giving to our children, our presence, our energy, our efforts, our entire consciousness, but also giving to ourselves. So the ways that we can give to ourselves are two. One is giving to ourselves through our children, meaning using it as a spiritual practice, mm. using it as a mindfulness. So when I was rocking my child at night for the umpteenth time, lonely, isolated, you know, no one's up at this hour of the night, just me. I could see my resentment building up, right? Mm -hmm. Going, what about me? My partner's sleeping, my mother's sleeping, or the whole world is sleeping, but this baby's keeping me up and I'm exhausted. What about me? Resentment. Or... I could go the other way into, ah, oh, what is this teaching me right now? It's allowing me to be present. It's allowing me to feel connected. It's allowing me to be here in the moment with my beautiful child. So I allow it to elevate me, right? That's the choice. Because if you don't have this other choice, you're in hell. Because it's one endless pit of resentment. So the what about me can be answered by using the relationship to teach you about yourself, learning about yourself, elevating yourself through the relationship. That's one way. That's the harder way. The other way is you have to carve time out for yourself. You have to have something that replenishes you. You know, you have to send your baby to daycare if you can afford it. You have to call in the troops. You have to call in help. 
be helpless. Say, hey, I need help. You know, another thing a lot of us mothers do in the early parts of our journey is we want to be the only one, mm-hmm. you know, the superheroes. I can do it best. Well, that doesn't last long because you can't. You just absolutely need to go on your knees and say, I need help. So I, I called my mother. I called my mother-in-law. I used my friends to help me. Find a babysitter. Try to use your resources for that extra help so that you can then spend the time to activate your own sense of purpose, something that fills you up on your own. Your girlfriends are so important. Other mothers, you need help. And trying to be this completely, you know, limitless being will come and kick you very hard. You need to just own your imperfection, own that you need help. Do not be limitless. Do not be the savior. Do not be the superhero. Own your limitations and ask for help. Do you think that's so beautiful? Thank you for that, by the way. As you were talking, I was like, do you think that we've somewhat female empowerment has done some damage to women in that sense of like, you can do everything, a girl. And yes. now the fact that we we have, it's being perceived as you can do everything versus you have a choice to do things anything right and in the feeling of you can do everything when you can't it actually makes you feel badly about yourself and now you can pay yourself to other women where you're like well hang on a minute she can do it she can do it I can't maybe I'm terrible yes I am kind of anti this slogan you can do everything because women take it to mean I must do everything Mm. and I'm a failure or lesser than or less of a woman if I'm not doing it all the career the children the partnership the body what the charity work, the volunteer work, what all can we do? So I am against that slogan. And I think it's actually causing a lot of harm in our psyches. I prefer women to believe they can choose to do whatever they want, but also they can do a lot, but not all together. <laughs> they can do one or two things in this decade, mm. another two things in another decade. And many women resent that. And then I tell them, well, then you don't have to be a mother. You know, if, if it's causing so much resentment, just the idea of it, then that's your signal, your red flag, that this may not be for you. It is not for everyone. You know, that maternal instinct is not everyone's instinct. And people need to have the choice to choose if they, if they wish to embody that instinct, if they wish to actualize that instinct. And in many traditional cultures like mine in India, women are just expected to be maternal. But not every woman has that. And that's okay. They can be maternal towards their nieces and their nephews. They can be maternal in their garden. They can be the best chef. You know, women's maternal instinct doesn't all need to come out with a child. So you can express your maternalism in many ways. And I think it's a it's a crime, really, for women to think that the only way they can be maternal is to have a biological or adopt a child. Mm. Oh, God. I, I love your words, by the way. Crime. I love the way you use that. And even in that word, the crime, it feels like if you're not, um, if you don't, if you decide not to have a, ch- a child and you don't then flex your maternal muscle, then now you definitely aren't a female or you're not a woman, a real right. woman. Like right. a lot of people are getting a lot of backlash with these um, interpretations of um, who you are based on the decisions you make. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's just ignorance and a limited point of view. In- woman who becomes a mother against her knowing, against her true consciousness will suffer. Mm -hmm. So it is 
to her best interest that she truly check in with herself and go on a journey, you know, go on a retreat, really think about it for a year or two, because that is one of the most important decisions she will make besides, of course, the partner she has. Mm. And the person she chooses to have that child with is a huge, huge choice that she needs to make with utmost mindfulness, because I cannot tell you how many parents, once they have children, right, the couple, once they have children, really, you know, fall apart. Because like I said, everything becomes a a difference of choice, a difference of value. And if they're not aligned in their philosophies on how to raise the child, Mm -hmm. this child can be a, you know, huge buster of that relationship. It's, it seems like we're getting ourselves trapped a lot in the expectations either that we've had growing up or the expectations that we put on ourselves. And there are two expectations as you were talking that really hit me. There's the one expectation that when you have a kid, automatically you'll feel that love and that maternal instinct towards the child. And I've had multiple friends that have said, I didn't feel this. And so yes. for the first month, I thought there was something wrong with yes. me. I was judging myself because every woman out there said, when you have a baby, the, you know, you absolutely will fall in love with it more than you've ever fallen in love with anything on this planet. Yes. So that expectation when it doesn't happen can really impact us. And then the other expectation that I've heard recently was I've got a lot of female friends who are entrepreneurs and a couple of them have started to have babies. And one of them recently, massive businesswoman, has an epic company and she had a baby. She's like, I'm going to keep working. I'm, you know, like this kid is, I'm going to be able to do both. And then she has the kid. She falls in love with the kid and the expectation that she had that she would still love her business is almost gone. And now on the side, she's like, I don't know what to do because this is my identity. I identified as a businesswoman. I wanted to have a kid. I was going to identify as the woman who can have a kid and work. And I didn't expect to not even care about my business anymore. So these two, even just these two expectations of how they're trapping us, if you wouldn't mind helping us like dissect how we overcome this. Right. The first expectation, and I know every woman has this when they become a mother, is that there will be this automatic instant overflow of devotion. So then imagine when you're looking at your baby and you're not feeling that devotion, how devastating for that mother, right? She feels like she's a criminal. She's so evil, right? There were times when my child was like, yeah, hi, and I did not like her, right? It was my ego, but, oh, I was exhausted or it was my hormones. And I felt so guilty. So what I want to say to those women who may experience that disconnect, they have to allow this. It takes time. It is not instantaneous. This is a lie that we've been told that is just a switch. We are exhausted. Our hormones are out of whack. Our body is in shreds. When I first looked down on my tummy after delivering, I couldn't believe what I saw. No one prepared me for the wreckage, right? You just do not recognize your body. It's not your own body anymore. So the woman is going through her own psychic death. And she needs to allow for the space and the time. And that's why when we used to live in communities, this is my fantasy, the the child was taken care of by the older women. So the new mother could embody that new process, that journey with time and space. Mm. But there is no time and space right now, right? In two months, she has to go back to work. She has to get her body back. She has to wear those waist snatchers and get her curve back. I mean, that's just insanity. But I would just let people know and women know especially, that that disconnect is normal. 
It's natural. You're not going to feel it. The baby is somebody you've never seen in your life before. Maybe it looks like the mother-in-law you don't like so much. <laughs> and you're like, I don't see myself. I'm like, who is this? Are you sure you have the right baby nurse? Right? Is this my baby? The ego again. Right, right. You don't, you, it takes time <laughs> to develop that connection. And to expect it to be instant devotion is a lie. Let's talk about the other one where you had your whole life before you. You were an entrepreneur. You were so successful. You know, maybe, I've seen many surgeons give up their careers, many entrepreneurs, many, many women who are teachers, professors, dentists, right? Now they have a baby. They never thought that they would give up their career. They never thought that the light of their spirit, their entrepreneurial spirit would dim. Mm-hmm. But now this baby is competing for their attention and their love. And I would say to that woman, allow it. It's okay. One is not better than the other. It's not a competition. It doesn't mean you're lesser than because now you're in love with your baby and you love being a mom. You know, I think the new, the new woman today almost has this idea that just being a mom is almost like a low class thing to do. Like, oh, you're just a mom, right? So you felt it because you didn't want to be a mom. But for those mothers who want to be a mom only, now they are being disparaged, mm-hmm. right? They are being scorned. Oh, you just a stay-at-home mom? There's so much beauty in that. There, it's not about like, oh, being a career and a mom makes you a full woman. You can choose a, a combination of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, only this, only that. We have choices now. But for the woman to feel lesser than by culture is really uh, an unfair thing. Mm. And we women need to fight back against it, right? We need to say, no, I want to be only a mom. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. Or I want to be a mom and an entrepreneur. You know, it's okay. My mom, you know, you can say my mom is taking care of my, my baby during the day and I'm an entrepreneur during the day and a mom in the evening. We can find a way, but regardless... Once you have a baby, somebody needs to take care of that baby. <laughs> right, yeah. So you have to find somebody who's wholesome, who's connected, who's wanting, who's willing. And uh, finding that right person is hard, but it can be done. Mm. Yeah, and I I think that's beautiful. And the thing that you keep echoing this episode that is so amazing is that it's okay. Like the expectation of doing everything, being this perfect mother, parenting in the perfect way, like always showing up, like it's just setting us, us, ourselves up for disaster. And what I love is exploring all these different avenues that we have. And now it's up to the person to then decide yes. on what type of life and person do you want to be. Yes. Um, and then uh, to really hammer home that expectation thing. It's so, I'm so grateful for you to be saying this out loud because when I was going through the struggle of deciding, there's the expectation of my family and my religion, right? Greek Orthodox, of course you've got to have it. You're going to have four children, yes. right? Nothing yes. less is going yes. to do. And you've even said before, like, I've only had just, just one just child. Just one. We should talk about that expectation. So go ahead. Yeah. So I had that expectation put on me. Mm-hmm. When are you going to have child number two? You're only having one child. Oh, your child is going to grow up antisocial. She's mm. a poor thing. Who's going to take care of her when you die? All this anxiety making me feel really lesser than. I, 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 had to, I felt like I had to apologize. I only have one child. I'm so sorry. Right? This is insanity. Again, a lie. My child is super social. She's just fine. And hopefully will be fine when I die. Right? Mm. So again, we are caught in these expectations that place these undue burdens on us that if we don't meet these expectations, somehow we are lacking, Mm -hmm. we are failing. 
And we women now need to stand up to this, you know, push back. And then by the time my child was six or seven and I saw she was pretty normal, she was quite social, she was fine, I began to push back against this cultural indoctrination, this idea, this message, and talk about it. No, it's okay to have zero children, one child, six children. Mm -hmm. Everything is okay if it works for you. Mm -hmm. And my child is 20 now, and I cannot tell you how happy I am that I just had <laughs> one child. I'm, I'm done. One and done. It's great. It's, it, there's value to that, too. There's beauty there, too. Yeah, I love that the um, like the decision really is up to you, and the comparison piece is super important because... Let's just embrace that none of us are the same. So your bandwidth, Dr. Shafali, exactly. all the things you can do, how you show up every yes. day, the amount of work yes. that you, the amount of hours you work, blah, blah, blah. I can't compare myself to you because then I think I'm doing a disservice to myself. And so as I was doing my decision making on whether I wanted kids or not, because I came from a world where I was like, oh, you can have four. Um, I'd already told Tom, got married, right. telling I wanted right. four children, was right. a stay at home wife for eight years. You know, you know my story. And so as I was trying to decide about whether to have children or not, going from four to zero, I started to think about, well, hang, hang on a minute. But um, Sarah Blakely can do it. Right. Sarah Blakely can have a business that's worth right. over a billion dollars and she has four children and she has an amazing marriage, at least right. from what I perceive. Right. And it's like, but I'm not Sarah Blakely. And even if it's easy for her, and I'm assuming it's not, but even if I'm in thinking it's easy, who am I and how am I? And the truth is, can I actually do it? Yes. And instead of saying, well, if she can do it, then so can I. And then I decide to have a business and kids and then I find my entire life in disarray. Yes. I just... I think women in general should stop comparing themselves to what other people are doing and if it's possible and just say, is that the life I want? Yes. I love that you brought this up because this is for every human alive, but especially us women, because we put so much emphasis on what other women are doing and we pit ourselves against each mm -hmm. other. And men do too, but for different things. But I think we do it for mothering, for our beauty, for our relationships, mm -hmm. right? That's where we kind of compare ourselves with other people. And it is such a disservice because like you said, you are not only not Sarah Blakely or any other woman, your, your mother wasn't her mother. Mm. So talk about how you were brought up. So that's what creates bandwidth. That's what creates your capacity to want X or Y. It comes from your childhood. So each person's childhood was so varied, right? I came from India. You came from the Mediterranean culture. It's so different. So we, comparing mm. who the person is today is such a superficial glimpse into their world because they came from a heritage, right? They came from a whole cultural conditioning from childhood that we are not seeing. We're not seeing. Maybe Sarah thought she had to have four children and she went for it, right? Yeah, that's and true. And maybe now she's going, oh my goodness, why did I have four? We don't know. We're, we're not seeing the backstory, but we're not seeing the cultural story, the whole childhood piece. And so there's no point comparing who the person is today, right? You and I can compare each other today in this moment, but it would be such a superficial glimpse into the whole story because the whole story began generations ago, mm -hmm. right? So what came down the pike for generations is who I am today. My race, my ethnicity, my culture, my language, my country, where my parents came from, how they were raised, their traumas. So there's no point just comparing this little glimpse. And that's what social media has done, right? Mm -hmm. It's given us a glimpse into people's lives, this, these little windows, which is not the whole story, but we think it is. And then we feel, end up feeling really bad about ourselves. And our children are growing up on social media today. And I feel 
really bad for them because I know that this comparison culture is even more so now that they're being raised in it. And uh, we need to really help our children not get caught up in it like we do. Mm. You know, we get caught up in it. So imagine them. Yeah, yeah, I see. Hey, I've heard you call it the hallmark motherhood. Like we're not actually like we project yes. the type of motherhood that we're gonna be. The or ha- sorry, the, ha- the hallmark version of parenthood, yeah. right? It's going to be this perfect vision. We're going to be loving to breastfeed our children. And imagine, I was told that you know you're going to love breastfeeding. The first few times, my baby didn't even latch, mm-hmm. and immediately I thought I was defective. Defective. Like, what's wrong with my defective breasts, right? So it starts with the breastfeeding and the, the rosy picture, and we'll be this happy family in the home with the picket fence. I mean, it's just everybody's typical story. And we need to blast it mm. out into the ether and just blow it up into smithereens because it doesn't work for everyone. And who said that that's even the way to a happy life or a joyous life? So many more women now are deciding to be child-free. Um, do you think that that is serving society or not serving society? Well, it's a loaded question, right? If they're choosing to be child-free out of a consciousness and a true calling to their own inner evolution versus it's the hip thing to be child-free or now it's the hip thing to be an entrepreneur or to be a woman out in the male world, then it's as ridiculous a choice as they would make if they were having a child out of it being a subscription, Mm. out of it just being a checklist box that they need to check off. So it's the consciousness with which the choice is made. And we have to really go within ourselves and make that choice with, with a full understanding of what this means. Because if you become a mother, but you're not ready to be a mother, and you have your 16 children... Okay, yeah, you have contributed to society, I guess, in the census count, but you've raised them unconsciously. So we don't need more unconscious people, right? (laughs) We we want children who are feeling worthy, who are feeling secure, who are not depressed, right? We want to try to raise them to the best of our ability that they feel a sense of inner connection. That can only come when you're conscious, right? Mm. So I, I would rather us put a stop to raising children mindlessly and having children unconsciously, because then we're just increasing the census, but we're not really adding anything to their life or to our own life. We're just being zombie parents. Oh, God, it's so true. And so many people, I think just because we haven't had to be honest, you around to tell us and help us get conscious in parenting. Um, How much of this do we need to discuss with our partners beforehand? Like, would you even suggest, and in fact, I'm going to throw a thing out. I want people to read your book before they have kids. Of course. Of course. Because this could be the type of place where people can get aligned or actually realize they're not aligned as parents at all. And now you're having that discussion before you birth a child, because of course, like we've said, there's no returning the child after it's been born. Right. So in my generation of parents, we didn't talk about it much because I think many of us were on that automatic, you know, treadmill of this is what you do. Mm -hmm. So I didn't talk about it much with my partner. I wish I had. But Having said that, no matter how much you talk about it, it's still something so unknown, it's going to take you for a spin. But at least you can begin to talk about your parenting philosophies, your parenting values. So important. Having discussions with your partner, period, about lifestyle choices, about philosophy choices, are so important because that partner is literally your greatest support or your greatest demise, right? That relationship, that's why you and Tom did it right. You got that relationship right because that relationship is the most important relationship. 
because that's your person who's going to take you through all these other adventures of your life. So if you and that person are disconnected, then it's going to seep into your your parenting. Mm. And thank you for breaking that down. That makes a lot of sense. But then what about where you put them in your priority order and yeah. your list? Because from what I see a lot is that um, I'm just going to be gender specific, but of course it is not always going to be this way but the woman puts the child first immediately and then the the father doesn't automatically and so they're wondering what's happened to their partner yeah um because they haven't necessarily put the child above their partner whereas the wife has well the the female does that because if she's had the child biologically those nine months the connection is forming it's very intense now, if you have a, if you've adopted a child, you can also connect. You know, we females have different hormones, and we connect. We have the love hormone, and we connect very differently than the traditional male. If you're talking traditionally, mm-hmm. but birthing your own child is a phenomenal journey for the woman, where she's already connected with the child before the child is born. Mm-hmm. the The male doesn't have that. So now, once the child is born, it's an automatic kind, not an instant, but it's kind of more of an mm-hmm. automatic connection because mm-hmm. she's been carrying the child so she's very invested in this being and for that poor guy out there if it's a guy he's like who is this person he's not had that same biological foray Mm -hmm. into the journey as the woman has so that's why we invest a lot more because we have invested a lot more our body has you know taken you know given up its its essence for this child our body has given up its it's uh, individuality for this child. Mm. It's allowed this child to be housed within it. So we're very invested. That's why mothers are like insanely invested in that parenting role much more than the father. But yes, then it impacts the relationship and the father typically can feel left out. And yeah, they have to negotiate a whole new dynamic and it takes mm. a lot of work. Mm. And, you know, typically then men could stray because they're not feeling like they're significant. They want to be seen. They're not being seen. They're replaced by this young being. This is such a common dynamic, I cannot tell you. Mm. I have so many young couples coming to me in trouble because of this shifting dynamic. You know, this duo has become a triangle and it's it's like it's not yet on its feet. And then it becomes, a, you know, a square or a parallelogram and a hexagon. And oh, my goodness, the poor guy, not poor guy, but, you know, he feels left out. But the poor woman is handling so much as well. So the the best thing is to go for couples therapy, to talk about your issues early on and to have somebody mediate so that the woman remembers to prioritize the male and the male remembers all the sacrifices the female has gone through to mm. create this family that he is also benefiting from. That's so important. Yeah, because what from what I see with other couples, again, I haven't had my own children, but I just see this becomes like almost like this bifurcation yes. where you have the woman that's like, what do you mean? I've just spent nine months of yes. giving birth to your child, right? right? Like, And it becomes like, right. do you know what this is doing to my body? I actually get that. Like, yes. it's a freaking toll. Right. And if you just ask me to to like walk the Arctic barefoot, <laughs> nude for nine months, I'll come back and I'm like, you need Hello? to be giving me a pat yes. on the back. I yes. just freaking did so that. So he wants attention. She wants attention and that's where you need to really come together as a unit and realize that this is for us. We're mm. doing it for us. And yeah, we're not going to be each other's, you know, front and center anymore, but we can we can together do this beautiful thing together. And it's so fun. It's also so, you know, it's hilarious. It's an adventure. You know, we're both messing up together. Mm. We're learning together. No one's got it down pat. But to keep that connection is even harder once you have children. Oh my goodness. Because you're exhausted and you're distracted 
and now you have to have sex and now you have to connect and who has time for that so all the more reason for the couple to come together to communicate to go to a couples counselor yeah because if you can do that dr shafali right like it's the judgment thing that i think starts to make people like become opposing and so you know if you're able to have that communication in saying you know as the woman with well, this is how i feel i feel like i've you know done this for the both of us and then for also the guy though you know you said it earlier and i do think it's important to the guy is getting impacted and so there is no well he shouldn't feel left out we've just said there should be no shouldn't in yes, our lives yes. so if we think that about ourselves we should also respect the other gender in the same no yes. and so instead of putting judgment on them about how they should or shouldn't feel giving them space to say hey look i feel neglected there should be understanding right yes, like yes. okay i understand but i still feel like this and then how do we navigate this together i think when yes. people together yes. that now it gives space for the woman to be able to say hey i feel like i'm alone or i feel like i'm not connecting with the child yes. i need your input like to really have that honest and open discussion but then also leaving that space for the guy because like you said how many young couples did you just say that come to you and they're just like in trouble in trouble yeah they're dear in headlights because they could never have imagined that their relationship would combust mm. to this level so they have to learn techniques to come back together you know what was sexy for the woman before was a necklace now what's sexy for her is him taking the kids to the park and leaving her alone for an hour you know what's sexy for him was a you know hot night in 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 the bed but maybe now what's sexy for him is for her to applaud him in his role as a father you know mm-hmm. he gets pride in his, in mm-hmm. him, in him being a father so the what we found sexy before changes but we need to change with that we can't stay connected to who we once were you know that is the greatest obstacle of transformation is our resistance to the new and our deep attachment to what we were mm. no we're not that anymore now we're here with these children so how can we morph and transform into these new roles with embrace with surrender with beauty without judgment but if we're clinging on to who we used to be we're not going to be in the present and become who we are. Mm. Right? Is that easier to do if you've been married for a shorter period of time or a longer period of time? Because I can almost see both sides of it. Well, it it's a crapshoot, right? Because <laughs> if you've been together longer, you would think you could ease into this better, Because but no, better but then you've been together longer, so now you're addicted to that pattern. Right. And if you're new, you could say, "Oh, you know, maybe that'll be easier because the patterns are set." but then because the patterns aren't set now we're in more trouble right so this trouble either way mm. because these are little humans with x factors up the wazoo everything is an x factor everything is up for grabs you don't know moment by moment what's going to happen your children are in formation and you're evolving and you're young and kind of dumb so you don't know so you know like i'm 50 now if i had a child now Oh my god, I would be amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I have all this life experience. Mm-hmm. I've checked off every box. Mm. Now I'm now I'm willing to sit back and be a, a mom. Yeah. But in your 30s, you you don't know much, right? So you're floundering, your identity is in question, and you're raising these little children who are in formation. Mm. You know what chaos that brings into your life? Everything is a crapshoot. Every day, imagine waking up every day going, it's a crapshoot day. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the next moment. So, but also can I tell you? That's where the spiritual practice is. That's what I took from it. I was I want to now fully consciously embrace the unknown that parenting brings. So, raising a young child is 
a masterclass in embracing the unknown, a masterclass in being in the present, a PhD beyond belief of surrendering to the unknown and embracing the havoc, the chaos, and staying equanimous, right? It is, it is such a pivotal, valuable spiritual teaching that if you embrace it, then you feel like you're getting something out of it, like you're growing, you're learning. But if you don't embrace it, then you're just feeling resentful. You're just in debit, right? So you want to move from debit to credit. And to do that, you have to tap into the spiritual transformational potential of this journey, which it has in spades. And that's what I talk about in all my books. Oh, go mic drop. Where can people find you and your new amazing book and everything that you're doing? Yeah, I'm so excited. This new book, you know, I've written other parenting books, but never one like this. This is mm -hmm. the how-to. The others were the, were the what and the why, but this is the how to become a conscious parent. It has 20 steps. Step by step, I give practice exercises. I have illustrations. I break it down into easy, digestible, real-life how-tos that if you read this as a guide, every day you read a chapter, within 20 days, you will be a transformed parent. So this is called The Parenting Map. I'm so excited for it. And people can find me at drshafali.com. I have so many courses. I have an institute um, where I coach people to become coaches like myself. Um, and that's where they can find me. Oh, guys, guys, you have got to go and check out her book and everything she does. So go check out this book. Go check her out. And if you're not subscribed, guys, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. And don't let anyone force you to have children if you don't want to. <laughs> Peace.